Dante Bojo, this is At the Edge of Canada with TJ Phillips, bringing you weekly check-ins with all the major players in the indigenous intellectual community in southern Manitoba and across the country. This week's show, we keep it in-house at the University of Manitoba, a recent recipient of a Vanier Scholarship and the current holder of a C.D. Howe Memorial Fellowship from the Center for Creative Writing and Oral Culture is Ph.D. student Nick Kosmenko in Applied Health Sciences. His research looks to explore through sharing circles and yarning the factors that influence rural indigenous participation in varsity sports in Manitoba and also creating culturally relevant narratives or film content with indigenous athletes. We dig into Nick's research methodologies, the notion of a sharing circle, how it passed ethics, what it's like to be an athlete coming from the North, the difference in training, the difference in approach, the difference in expectation. Nick's research is really cool because I don't know of how many times we've heard of getting students to engage in a sharing or talking circle as a method for drawing out self-awareness about the process of creating elite level athletes. We talk about the subculture of comparison that happens in social media and in the world of competition. Nick's from the North. He's from Cranberry Portage. He's also a distance runner. This is an interesting look at graduate research going on right here at U of M. And this is Nick Kosmenko on At the Edge of Canada. This is an interesting show for me, Nick, because I study indigenous uh, sport and indigenous masculinities through sport and okay. literature. I'm particularly yeah. interested in your in your research. Oh, I'm particularly okay. curious about what you have to say about what you're finding in your talking circles and, and things like that. Yeah, well, I haven't done the talking circles yet. Yeah, so we'll... what you're gonna do? Yeah. What you're gonna do? Um, yeah. So let's let's start there. You've just been you've just been awarded this year the CD Howe Fellowship yeah. for the Center of Creative Writing and Oral Culture, right? That's right. Give me the elevator speech about your winning proposal for that fellowship. <laughs> That's a long time ago. I forget most of it. <laughs> but basically, I outlined my research uh, studying rural Indigenous athletes mm-hmm. and varsity sport, uh, particularly here in Manitoba. Uh, the plan is to do talking circles with uh, youth, so high school aged athletes to kind of get their, so they could share their experiences with me about sport and pursuing sport in their home communities. And then uh, I'm going to do what's called uh, yarning. It's a conversational method, so kind of like a relaxed interval, interview that you allow to uh, wind its way along. Uh, I'm going to do that with current Indigenous varsity athletes here at the U of M. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Alumni of uh, U of M teams as well, Indigenous alumni. Cool. So when you say rural Indigenous, is there particular communities or regions you're working in? Uh, I haven't figured it out yet. I haven't really defined what I mean by rural, and that's Mm -hmm. something important that I'm going to have to do. Mm. So, yeah, we'll see. That's still in the works. Okay. 
And when you talk about athletes, is it, is there particular sports, or is it just anybody who has been recruited by or is planning to play for a Canadian collegiate team? Yeah, so with uh, the youth, it'll be pretty much any any sport. Um, but, of course, here with the varsity athletes, it's the varsity teams that we have here. Mm-hmm. And uh, if I need to, I might branch out to University of Winnipeg if they let me and uh, go from there. So, mm-hmm. yeah. so why did you think that storytelling and using talking circles and the yarning method, why was that the best way to do, come to understand these athletes' stories? So I'm taking uh, kind of a, an indigenous uh, paradigm approach or indigenous research paradigm. So the participants have a lot of control in what we do. So although I say now I'm going to use talking circles and yarning, um, it could change depending on what the participants want. They are given mm-hmm. a lot of control over the research. And, of course, you want to do s- things that are meaningful for them. Mm-hmm. This is all qualitative stuff, and most of it, a lot of it is based on interviews and just talking to people. So it's kind of a complicated form of talking to people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the best way to just you know get information from people or have them share their information is to talk to them and they can give you deep rich uh information that way uh with surveys you you don't get that so i think that's particularly important and i like interacting with uh with athletes in particular and hearing their stories so i guess uh you know that's kind of why i chose it and of course talking circles it's culturally relevant um it's really cool because uh Unlike focus groups where you can have people all talking at once and then mm-hmm. have to transcribe that after, mm-hmm. talking circles, you take turns, right? So, and it's kind of a, it's a way to uh, disrupt the hierarchy between maybe researcher and participant because everyone has a say and everyone's considered equal in a talking circle. Um, and with the yarning, kind of same thing. The person you're talking to, the participant has so much control over where it goes. Mm-hmm. I have a couple of questions about how the talking circles are going to look from an administrative position in a bit. But first, I'm curious about what kind of stories do you want to hear? There is a academic development component to this research. You're looking at the ways in which sports facilitate successful students and graduation rates and all of these other elements of producing... finished university products. I'm curious about the stories that you're, you want to hear from youth. Is it about development? Is it about journey? Um, is it about systemic racism? Like, what kind of conversations are you looking for? Well, I'm hoping to hear uh, well, everything they're willing to share and that they have found, uh, well, that's important and significant in their lives, um, stories that relate to pursuing sports. So that can be, like, maybe how it helps with school or how it doesn't help with school because it can be positive, negative. So that's a big thing we're looking for or I'm looking for both the positives and the negatives and that's what you want to do with your research course is not just focus on the negativity i'm i'm often someone who who does that kind of excessively i'm an, it's kind of a negative person that way but uh, an inherent cynic makes a good researcher <laughs> yeah like i like to attack issues i guess and, mm-hmm. and fix things so okay and understand them so sometimes when you're asked in talking circles i've been a, i've been a part of many in different regions in this country and there's always different protocols and procedures what kind of oversight do you have? Do you have an elder running these t- talking circles? Is there going to be that kind of uh, architectural component? There might very well be. I mean, uh, before I started the PhD, I was in the master's here, and I actually dropped out of the master's and applied to the PhD and got in. But when I did my <laughs> master's... We'll edit that out, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> that you were a graduate school dropout at one point. <laughs> yeah, I'm a grad school dropout. Well, I, I already had a master's okay. degree. Um, it was actually in environmental science, so... I figured, well, things are coming to me quick in this new area of research that I'm doing, this new field, so I might as well, you know, go for something a little bigger. 
But um, I had uh, reached the point where I submitted my ethics approval in mm-hmm. my MA. And uh, yeah, one of the things they told me was uh, maybe you should, you know, have a facilitator do these mm-hmm. talking circles. So that's definitely something I'm going to have to uh, look into, depending on, I mean, where I'm working too. Because my plan back then was to do one of the talking circles back in my home community okay. of uh, Cranberry Portage. And the plan was to coach track and field there because I'm an um, alumni of the track team here myself and uh, kind of build rapport with students that way. But ethics thought there would be kind of a hierarchy, which uh, is definitely a valid point. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, it's. I was just thinking about the ways in which these stories can quickly become confessional and private in talking circles and often that's the sanctity of the circle is that these stories are meant to stay there. What did ethics have to say to you about wanting to use the talking circle method as a chance to glean researchers? Did they require you to be a little bit more uh, nuanced in your approach or anything like that? Did you get any feedback that way? Yeah, definitely. I see your point there. And that's definitely something that's going to have to be um, communicated with people and and they're going to be there with me hopefully every step of the way. Mm-hmm. So anything we say gets double checked with them. And, uh, you know, it, nothing uh, nothing leaves them unless they wanted to or nothing leaves us unless mm-hmm. they wanted to. One of the issues we've seen in the past with Indigenous researchers around naming in ethics. Ethics typically doesn't allow you to name. And in Indigenous circles, that's often quite important. It's a way of uh, honoring people is through naming them in stories and naming them for recognition I would imagine that stories from young athletes there's a whole network of people that come into play in their development um, from coaches to mentors to other players I was just really curious how ethics um, was guiding you with, uh, with that kind of information with rural indigenous athletes and I've worked in youth mentorship sectors myself in coaching and in outreach And in rural communities, especially the obstacles, not necessarily obstacles, but the the context and the situation of being a young developing athlete is particularly unique. There isn't the kind of resources you wish that were there. There's often a lot of travel and money involved. Uh, Team, their teams are community based and nation based in a lot of situations, especially for indigenous athletes. I'm really curious about that systemic trend of how to build elite athletes in rural communities. Uh, I'm curious of what kind of political stories might come out about that. Have you thought about that at all uh, emerging in your research? As somebody from Cranberry Portage who was a high-level athlete, uh, I'm sure you you dealt with your fair share of politics on the road up. Just make one correction there. Still, I'm a high-level athlete. Oh, okay, yeah. (laughs) No, I'm actually not that good. (laughs) Talk to my coach and he'll uh, he'll tell you. But... uh, um, yeah, with the rural communities, I haven't uh, thought too much about the the politics of it yet. But you know, like you said, coming from Cranberry Portage and being a runner, you try to run out there in the winter time, and you're running through sometimes you know six mm-hmm. inches of snow because uh, the roads don't get plowed that often. Um, yeah, just things like that. It's really challenging. There's no facilities, so I've thought about you know how do you develop, particularly you know since I'm a runner, how do you, how would you develop distance runners in this setting because mm-hmm. I know I missed out on a lot of things um yeah the indoor facilities something we don't have so you're out there in the winter you can't really do anything fast or too much quality when mm-hmm. there's ice everywhere and snow and yeah what about the uh you know not all these communities have coaches like we here we have here in Winnipeg mm-hmm. so that's a big thing too because uh you definitely want to put 
you know, start athletes uh, the right way toward their athletic careers. So, Mm -hmm. you know, one thing is maybe training coaches in these communities Mm -hmm. uh, that already live in these communities to do it um, with the facilities. I don't know. um, A lot of what we have to do, I think, is just be creative. I mean, you know, I heard a story someone told me about uh, a runner who lived in one of these rural communities. And what he would do is run up and down the uh, runway of the airport. Mm-hmm. just up and down up and down because it was the only place that was plowed you know that might drive you crazy but that's kind of an example of how you know he kind of takes another level of dedication almost and mm-hmm. yeah some creativity to to be good at something mm-hmm. yeah be really curious to hear what those stories are about how that affected the athlete's perception of their ceiling i mean we live in a we live in an era right now where you can go on instagram or twitter or facebook and you can see your peer athletes training at incredibly sophisticated ways and high-tech facilities in this country more so in the states but in this country especially what would that do to the psychology of a rural indigenous athlete who has to run highways i'd be really curious to hear what that would do to resiliency and perseverance and and your own psyche of self-determination uh what did you feel when you were in cranberry portage you know running running snowbanks yeah uh well, I had made the goal of, uh, I guess I started in high, I started late in high school doing mm-hmm. this. I mean, I was a runner since I was 13, but I didn't start competitively until later just to push myself and test myself. And, uh, yeah, the one goal was, uh, to win a, a medal at a rural provincial meet and mm-hmm. still that excluded Winnipeg at the time. And, uh, so you still don't have, uh, uh the high level of, of competition, um, not to say anything, you know, not to say anything bad about these other runners but uh winnipeg presents other opportunities you don't get elsewhere mm-hmm. um but i didn't really think about it when i was uh when i was younger i just wanted to you know i saw it's track so you see the numbers yeah. and i just trained to hit the numbers mm. and uh yeah i just uh you never thought that it could affect your ceiling as an athlete like i can't get an extra tenth of a second on my time because quite frankly i don't get to run against resistance training machines or anything like that I do now. I didn't mm. back then. Um, back then, actually, when I moved here to Winnipeg, I thought, well, my training's... I, I thought the opposite way. I thought my training's going to be limited because I'm moving to the city. Mm. I didn't have much experience in interesting. Winnipeg. That's interesting. But, you know, you find out there's tons of running routes around here. Mm-hmm. It's really... It's actually a good city to to run in. I think people would say, oh, it's snowy and cold. But, I mean, there's trade-offs to every place you go. Yeah. Uh, so, when I was over in Windsor doing my master's there, um, you know, it's icy all the time. So, and slush and stuff like that. But you ever uh, run down in Sandwich Town? Yeah, I live there. Oh, yeah. you lived in Sandwich Town. Yeah. Right? Well, it's not far from yeah. the campus. Yeah, Sandwich but Tower was where I lived. Yeah, <laughs> cool. two years. Yeah, for all our listeners who aren't in the Southern Ontario area, there's a little neighborhood in Windsor called Sandwich Town, and it's right near the university. A lot of students and faculty and staff live there. Yeah. Uh, and it's right like right underneath the Ambassador Bridge. I think yep. you can even see the stairs. Right close, a, yeah. Yeah, pretty close. Um, the Ambassador Bridge that goes over the uh, Detroit River into uh, Detroit, Michigan. Um, another curious story I, I would love to hear in these talking circles if it comes up would be the self-awareness of elite-level rural Indigenous athletes. How well did they know their own skill set was maybe a ticket to a big town, an urban setting? Like, what did that do to their psyche in the community? Because I, I witnessed it. I In these communities, there was a segregation between 
elite level talent and pedestrian talent and elite level talent was insulated in your coaching did you ever do you ever see that kind of insulation of elite level talent not really you know because well with with the running it's something that takes a lot of distance running in particularly Mm -hmm. you know you don't my coach says you don't just find a good distance runner on the street you can find a talented distance runner on the street but it takes time and the high school level not many students that put that time in especially in north where running is not a thing you know uh, back home i'm the guy that runs and uh few other people do it there's a couple others but uh so there's not really too many people at that level although i believe you can find talent anywhere and you know right now the north is i believe an area that isn't really being tapped into um and you know being good at a sport can do so much for uh, for how you feel about yourself and you know training with other athletes and that social circle you build so Indigenous athletes in the north may not always find themselves competing in track and field. There's a lot of other opportunities out there and things like maybe hockey or field lacrosse. Um, I'm curious about the athletes you've identified, if you've started that work, who are athletes at the varsity level already. Um, do you find that Indigenous athletes, rural or urban, are gravitating to, sort of, to certain sports? Uh, that's what, well, that's definitely what you would read is hockey is the big one. And yeah, I would believe that. I I think, uh, my old high school, they, uh, started a hockey academy. I'm not sure how it's going, but it's a big thing. It's, uh, you know, for some students, it's their number one thing. It's what they're there for. Then school is, you know, it's just keeping them in school. Like it did for me, like, uh, well, like track did for me throughout my university career. I mean, I wouldn't be sitting here if it wasn't for that. I don't think. So, uh, yeah, I just definitely say hockey's the big one. Mm-hmm. And do you have any athletes already identified at you in Manitoba that you'd like to work with? Um, I got some uh, some names in mind, I guess. But, uh, no, I'm still identifying a lot of athletes. Before, when I started my MA, it was just going to be, uh, just gonna be, I think, northern, northern indigenous instead of rural indigenous. Mm-hmm. But rural kind of includes other communities you excluded northern. And uh, it would include... Nor- well, Northern and Indigenous is separate, so it was easy to go through rosters and find out who was um, who was from the North. But now that I'm doing rural and Indigenous, it's uh, it's kind of a little harder because I have to think of what's rural, and uh, you know I'm combining the two, so mm-hmm. the participants have to be rural and Indigenous, not or. So uh, it's it's takes a little more time. I'm gonna have to talk to some of the coaches and. Uh, you know, get them to help me out with recruiting and stuff like that. Absolutely. You're based in the Faculty of Kinesiology and Recreation? Uh, well, Applied Health Sciences, which kinesiology is a unit in Applied mm-hmm. Health Sciences. It's a multidisciplinary fac- uh, faculty. So, yeah, and that's uh, where I started my MA was Ken. Kin- okay. Yeah. And so who, who are you, who's your advisor? <coughs> so my uh, two advisors are Dr. Alicia Strawn and Dr. Joni Hallis. Mm, Dr. Joni Hallis. I'm good friends with Joni. Yeah. Uh, she's awesome. Um, and what kind of support are they providing you on this on this journey, on this uh, research pathway with Talking Circles and Indigenous Perspectives? Yeah, I just want to say, first of all, that they've been really great. I know that might help me out when it comes <laughs> to my comprehensive <laughs> exams. So uh, get that out of the way right away. <laughs> um, yeah, they're both very... Uh, very helpful um you know they set they set the bar for me um 
and I don't want to say push me because it's not aggressive, but they're definitely putting opportunities out and expect me to do, you know, certain things and expect me to research at a high level and all that. But the thing I really like is, uh, you know, they're open to um, me doing things differently. Um, at first, well, qualitative research in general is uh, something that's kind of marginalized. It's not, mm. some people don't see it as good or as uh the quantitative research. Now with indigenous research, it adds a whole new thing. You know, you're not really concerned so much about being rigorous and things like that. You know, the methodology you use is uh, the one where you, uh, through which you best meet your relationship obligations with uh, the community. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if they don't want the research to go out, it doesn't go out. Mm. So yeah, Joni and Leisha are very um, up to date with that sort of thing. And uh, yeah, they're really great that way. So in your mind, what would be the best ultim- ultimate outcome of this research? Um, what kind of difference do you want to make in rural Indigenous athletic development, academic success? W- what's, what's the ultimate best case scenario? Yeah, that's a really uh, good question because that's something I've had in mind, I think, for a while now is mm-hmm. uh, not just producing the thesis, but how can we actually make something out of my project? Um, so the details need to be kind of refined. One thing I'm doing, it is, um, you know, I'm taking this indigenous research paradigm, but I'm trying to use a two-eyed seeing approach to incorporate some of the strengths of Western science as well. So there is a quantitative part that I'm going to be doing, uh, building a survey to, uh, schools, hopefully across Canada. Um, so it's not just specific to Manitoba that they can send out to people, to indigenous, uh, you know, potential students in in areas around their university and ask them, okay, what do you want included in the school environment? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think you can't just place the, uh, the onus on the sport because varsity sport, we're so focused on competing at a high level, yeah. you know, and uh, the onus shouldn't be placed on sport to make things uh, culturally appropriate and inclusive. Mm-hmm. So there's a survey to ask people about that. That's one of the products. And also in my... Uh, proposal to cd howe memorial fellowship i mentioned uh fictional narratives or i might use a video that tells the youth stories mm-hmm. and tells uh the varsity athlete stories and the alumni stories but those are made in conjunction with the youth they're hopefully going to help me out and uh so maybe produce some videos so i still got to check in to uh you know what do i have to do to get that done like what are the ethics that are involved and things like that so mm-hmm. and then um you know there's initiatives going on at this school too uh dealing with uh, making things more inclusive so hopefully my research can contribute to that in as it relates to sports so. as as for boots on the ground sort of youth work you've also been involved with rec and read right oh just uh a little bit yeah i was volunteering there for a little while not mm-hmm. not a whole lot though my good friend heather yeah works there yeah. she leads uh, rec and read so i got uh, people i love in both these places joni and heather are wonderful yeah. people but in your limited time at Rec and Read, uh, what did you think was the value of combining academics with sport in that way for youth? Yeah, and I thought that was that was great because, you know, I remember in high school we used to get medals that said uh, athletics, the other half of education. So, you know, it kind of, it's kind of living that. Uh, and many people, you know, they'll say that these other things outside school are important, but you don't really see it, especially in our society. It's always academics, academics. And uh, the athletics is kind of pushed aside, but it's, you know, it reminds me of the concept of wellness and um, having the spiritual, emotional, physical, and the other one. <laughs> it's the one <laughs> you got to work on, Nick. 
What is the other one? The one you don't know is the one you got to work on. What is that? Did you say you said spiritual, what physical, I'm embarrassing myself, emotional, though. intellectual. That's the one. Yeah, that's the one I need to work on I mean, as a PhD student. That's why I'm still in school. You know, people told me to stay in school. I kind of took that a little too far. It's like my 10th year of post-secondary. It reminds me of that, you yeah. know, focusing on everything, not just, you know, sitting down in the classroom. And yeah. So you had mentioned earlier in this interview that you're feeling maybe burnt out. What is what is uh, a Vanier award-winning PhD scholar de- do to deal with uh, to deal with burnout? What is, what is your go-to move? I really like... Uh, just spending time with my uh, the track and field team here. You know, they're great athletes, and, uh, you know, I, they've kept me in school for since my uh, undergrad, I guess, and it's just it's so freeing to be able to run with them after school. And uh, you know. Oh, wait, are you those goofballs that are running outside in all kinds of weather and those tight pants and everything? Totally, yep. Those are you guys. That's us. I've seen you guys running by on the golf course and whatnot out yeah. there, just zipping by in snow and rain and... 30 degree heat yeah i'm usually like way out the back oh uh, yeah so you'll see them you'll see them pass you by then you'll see the snails in the park pass you by then they'll be me yeah then there's you the caboose eh? well somebody's got to be last yeah (laughs) exactly uh i ask all my guests this as a way of cutting you loose nick uh who are you reading right now do you have an indigenous intellectual crust that you got your eye on who are are you reading who's who's on your uh your desk at this point right now it would be well, you know, recently has been nothing because I've been busy doing other things. I get myself involved in a little too much. Um, but a lot of the readings I've done have been in uh, actually Dr. LaRock's class. Emma. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so a lot there. And, uh, you know, Janice Forsyth, Forsyth is another author who, you know, I see her name everywhere. And, of course, Joni's stuff. I, I just loved reading that. And uh, the positive youth development literature, because that relates to my project, mm-hmm. too. So that's Alicia's work. So yeah. I got to know Janice when I worked at the University of Western Ontario. She's pretty righteous. Yeah, yeah Emma LaRock has been named before as Indigenous Intellectual Crust Show. I wonder if Emma's writing a book. If she's writing a book, I'll get her on here and we'll, I'll chat her up about growing up in northern Alberta, being a Franco yeah. Métis superstar. Yeah, yeah, she has some great stories and definitely someone uh, who I just love learning from. And uh, Joni and Leisha, too. It's uh, so good to be able to make these connections here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, Nick, I appreciate you taking the time to drop by the UMFM studios. And for all that you do in Indigenous sport development, indig- Indigenous research methodology, and practicing two-eyed seeing as a as an ally in this uh, journey towards a reconciled university, just appreciate your knowledge and appreciate your contributions. All right. Yeah, no problem. Thanks very much. At the Edge of Canada is produced at the UMFM studios on the University of Manitoba campus in Winnipeg, Manitoba. The University of Manitoba is situated on Treaty 1 territory, the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, the Cree, the OJ Cree, the Dakota, and the Dene peoples, and on the homeland of the Métis Nation. You can get all updated podcasts and live streams for At the Edge of Canada at umfm.com, or you can listen to us live on the UMFM app. The lead track is Nahewak Starlight. And if you like what you hear from me, you can follow me on Twitter at TFillers. Up next, your campus today. I went and stuck my neck out there.
Oh, mm-hmm.